I'm so excited about today because I get to just explode on you, so prepare yourself. Um, <laughs> but uh, sometimes um, the Word of God is described like a fire pent up in my bones, and today is one of those days, so I'm just so thankful that I've been I'm given the opportunity to talk about fighting. Um, at Highland, we do a lot of praying on the leadership team about what the words are to be um, to feed the body every time we gather on Sunday. And ever since Godspell, we've been having a conversation. Um, we started with how to get to heaven from Asheville, which was this four-week step-by-step journey of truly what it means to be a Christ follower and how do I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And then we came into Cultivating Cravings, which was three weeks just really training us in the disciplines of the Christ follower. And the first week, Jace or Shannon let us know that these disciplines, these, these acts that are spiritual of prayer and reading the Word of God and studying it, of worship, of serving and giving, these spiritual disciplines, all these things are just an invitation um, from our friend. In John 15, Jesus just said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I want you to be with me. I want you to remain with me. This is how we're going to talk. This is how we're going to hang out because you said you wanted me to save you. You wanted to follow me. And this is how it's going to happen. We're going to walk together. Saving part's already done. But I'd really like to spend a lot of time with you while on earth. The next week, um, Jason let us know that these disciplines are not the end in themselves. We're not so that we can become super spiritual. They're just a means to an end. And the end is Jesus himself, that we get to know him, that we get to be like him. So we get, we want to get, get good at these things. I'm sure that I just destroyed that grammatically, but you know, however, however that works. We want to get good at God's word and get good at prayer and get good at worship and get good at serving and all these spiritual disciplines. And then Pete finished up the series by helping us to know that all those things that we do are not to glorify ourselves at all. They're just so that we can look like Jesus so that we bring a lot of glory to God. And other people begin to say there's something different about you and they begin to look up and understand that it was the saving work of Christ has nothing to do with us. But what I want to share with you all today, if we can continue this conversation is that, and I believe, I really believe the Lord is stirring this in my heart for us just in this moment, that this is a word fresh for us here in this moment. So receive it however the Lord would send it to you. That these disciplines we've been talking about, getting connected to Jesus, if you could allow me, I would like to transform these risers here to like the throne of Christ. And that we've been talking for the last several weeks about how to get connected to Jesus Christ. And we talked about those disciplines of prayer and worship and reading the word. So if this could, this little part over here, if it could kind of be the secret place or the quiet place, except for that Jason doesn't like to call it a quiet time. He said that makes him feel like he's in trouble or he's in timeout. So we'll call it the, the cool, cool, tough talk thing with Jesus, the huddle thing. Whatever you call this, you know, strong conversations with Jesus. So that's what this is, okay? Um, <clears throat> Jesus and us, we're having this quiet time. And if I could say that what I believe today's about is understanding that those same disciplines that we've been talking about, prayer and worship and the Word of God and the ways we talk to God and the way we hear from Him... They work in the secret place, but they're not only how we connect to heaven, but I want to talk today about how those same disciplines are the way we come out and negotiate earth. And if those things that are powerful in the secret place, we don't drop them and leave them in the secret place and close the door on the secret place and run out here and try and handle life in our own strength. 
But what God is saying, I have this better idea. Instead of you running in and out of my presence, why don't you just turn around and face the world with your hands full of the same things you were doing in the secret place, worship and prayer and the word of God and listening to me and serving and abiding and remaining with me. And as long as you hear me talk, probably till I die, this is the message I feel I'm mantled to say for myself and for the word, remain in Christ, abide, stay with him, do it all with him. Don't live this life that's in and out of his presence. I mean, why, what in the world? That's miserable. He's so good. He's so good, and with him, everything's right. That's why I love church. I love it. I love church, and I didn't always used to, but I love coming in here and listening to you all sing. Sometimes it absolutely undoes me. Everything's right. Jesus is right where he's supposed to be. We're right where we're supposed to be. We're, our eyes are right where they should be. We're saying the words we should say. We're listening to the words we should listen to. Everything's right for like 90 minutes. It's so good. And then you walk out and then everything's kind of hard to say, right? It's kind of wrong. There's all this stuff and all this noise, all this noise. And I would love for us to be able to remain in his presence all the time. It's heaven on earth. I think that was Jesus' idea when he said, this is how you ought to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. We could have heaven on earth. We just stayed with him. We just remained in his presence. It's what he wants. It's what we need. So Lord, help us. Help us to put all this together. And there's a great picture given in the word of God. My favorite story in the Old Testament. And Jesus really believed he just gave it to me when I was 19 years old. I was flying down one of my very first speaking dates um, that I had to like travel to. I'd been speaking in my little town for a couple years. I got on a plane, was flying down to New Mexico, was 19 years old, by myself, scared out of my head, and I, I, I decided to read the word on the plane, and I thought, you know what, I don't know if I've read David and Goliath for myself, I've been told the story for a gajillion times, but maybe I would let the Holy Spirit tell it to me. So I opened it up, and he began to tell me the story, and boy, he's a good storyteller, so I'm so excited to share with you what the Lord has been feeding me on now for, I'm 41, so however many years that is, literally, the Lord ministered this to me in such a deep place that it has, I have been transformed by this story. It has radically impacted the way I live. Um, Okay, so here's the story. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Now, the Philistines had gathered for war, and they had assembled in this mountain place. It has a lot of big names. I'm going to skip all that part. But the Philistines had come together for war against Israel, and they occupied one hill, and it says the Israelites occupied another hill, and there was a valley in between them. And uh, so I'm going to put the Philistines over here on my left. So you can, I'm a very visual person, so we're just going to paint this picture, all right? So the Philistines are over here on a great big giant hill, and there's a big valley. And over here on the right, we've got the Israelites, okay? And in the middle of this valley is this interesting character, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gave. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was, javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went out ahead of him. This is a formidable enemy. He is fierce. We haven't met anything like this in our day. Nine feet tall. Goliath got up every morning and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, 
Why do you come out and line up for battle? He would shout up at them. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we're going to become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Um, Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And the scripture goes on to tell us that they had been going through this ritual of lining up for battle and listening to Goliath do his little morning chant. They'd been doing this for 40 days. 40 days. And I try to imagine what that would have been like to have left my my family to go off to war. And every morning I get up and I don't know how they woke the soldiers up. I don't know if they were or they rang a little cowbell or what they did. But they got all the soldiers up and all the little soldiers got out of their little tents and they put on all their little armor and they had a little breakfast. And then there was probably a battle cry or a beat of a drum or a something. And all the soldiers would come and they would line up for battle. And they'd stand there and Goliath would say his little blah, 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 blah thing about come and fight me. And every morning for 40 mornings, all the men would go and they would shake and go back. And they did this over and over and over again. And so this was before CNN and internet. And so you just didn't really know, you know, you just knew the men are off to war, so to speak. Really, they're just shaking in their boots for about a month. Well, meanwhile, that's scene one. That's the war scene. Scene two. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, We've got the youngest brother of um, all soldiers, and his name is David. And all of his brothers are old enough to go off to war, but David's the youngest in the family. I'm the youngest in the family. Anybody else here the youngest in the family? So I feel you. We're the ones that get the job nobody else wants to do. And David was totally in that spot. He was back with his father tending sheep while his big brothers were off at war. Now, tending sheep, I've never done it, but I have seen actual shepherds in Israel when I got to go several years ago watching sheep. But it it doesn't look very exciting to me. What I saw was a young man kind of on a rock like this, and that's what he was doing, watching, sorry, 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 (laughs) watching sheep. And and sheep aren't very exciting animals. They, They just aren't very, they don't... They don't really fight. They're kind of dumb. They run into things. You got to kind of hurt them. They eat. And it is no wonder to me at all that David took up the harp. I really do believe that that's part of it. He had a lot of time on his hands. And like our young men today strap a guitar on their back, he was strapping the harp on his back and going out to tend the sheep and watch them. And he would whip that harp around and begin to write. And you see the scriptures talk about David as a shepherd and he had the heart of Christ because Christ is a shepherd. All that stuff was formed in him while he sat on that mountainside alone, mostly alone. But David had this strange sense of never being alone. He had this amazing connection to God. He was a worshiper. So there was something that was going on as he was sitting there watching the sheep. He was in the secret place. He was doing it all with God. He was talking to God. And we find this out later in his life. We find this out later in the story that there was a connection with God that was so great that in the chapter before David meets Goliath, we find out that Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit. And it was so tormenting to him that he cried out for help. And in all of Israel, there was, this, there was a, something known about this young harpist who, when he came and played the harp, evil spirits would flee. So there was something about David's connection to God that was so, had so much authority in the spiritual realm that when he worshiped, evil left. 
And David um, <clears throat> was given opportunity to play for the king. He had a relationship with the king. He was the guy who sat in the corner and played the harp while Saul and tried to minister to Saul so that he wouldn't be tormented anymore. So there's something very powerful happening in David's secret place, in his tending sheep. This discipline, this obedience, this tedious day after day after day of doing the same thing, something's happening inside of him. He's starting to get kind of powerful. And in worship, it's already been known and testified. Well, this day comes, the big moment comes, although David doesn't know it's a big moment. He thinks it's just another ordinary day. When Jesse, his father, comes to him and says, I want you to go um, take some supplies to your brothers out on the field, and I want you to come back and tell me how the battle's going. And I don't know how David felt, but I can imagine that he felt pretty excited about that because he's a young man, and he wants to be near the things where the men are. And so the next morning, it says he woke up very early, and he loaded up all the supplies, and he's walking along on this journey. I don't know how many miles it was. I don't know how long the walk was, but I've, I've been wondering what was David doing on the way to the battleground? And I really do think he was doing what he always did. He was singing his songs. He was thinking about God, wondering about how his brothers were doing. He wasn't walking alone because he, he didn't walk in space that was alone. He was very aware of the presence of God. This secret place was just coming with him wherever he was going. And it just so happens, because it's a fantastic story, that he arrives, he arrives just at the moment that Goliath is standing up to give his chant. So I can just hear David hearing the drums pounding and hearing the battle cry, seeing the guys line up and his heart kind of starting to pound like, I'm here for the action. I'm going to get some of this. And he leans in close and he looks down in the valley and sees this nine foot giant shout out, why do you come up and line out for battle? Am I not a a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Give me a man and la, 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 la. And he looks down at Goliath and hears this big threat and looks over at his brothers. You know what David probably thought. Immediately his eyes, I would imagine, would have gone right to Eliab, his oldest brother. Because you know how that is. You know, they're wrestling and killing each other. And David's probably measuring his manhood on, can he arm wrestle his brother? And he's probably cool. And so David's looking over at Eliab, but Eliab does this very strange thing. He just starts doing the 40-day ritual of, of dismayed and terrified and shaking in his boots. And that's freaky. That's so freaky. And he starts looking and none of the soldiers are willing to go down into the battle. And there's something that took place right there. And I don't know for sure, scripture doesn't say, but I think because of what we see happen later, that this is what happened. I think the soldiers stood up and looked down at Goliath and Goliath threatened them. And I believe that what the soldiers did was their eyes went to Goliath and then their eyes went right to themselves. They saw his strength and his threat and they looked at themselves and they were dismayed and terrified. And I want to say to you that I believe David did something very different. I believe that David looked down at Goliath, or Goliath and he measured him up. And instead of his eyes coming here, I think David's eyes went here. Amen. And I think he said, are you going to let him talk to you like that? This giant just defied the armies of the living God. And that wasn't something he just thought. It came right out of his mouth. 
He said, who is going to take care of this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine who has defied the armies of the living God? He said it out loud. And, and the other guys stand around and go, well, I'll tell you what's going to be done. You're going to inherit the, the king's daughter as your wife and your, your family's not going to have to pay taxes. And all this great stuff's going to come to you if somebody will go down there and kill Goliath. And so he keeps talking about it. Well, Eliab gets mad at him. And he overhears that his little brother is talking about who's, what's going to be done for the man who kills Goliath. And he comes over and he accuses him. He says, I know how wicked you are and how conceited your heart is. You came down here just to watch the battle. And he tried to shut him down, tried to smash his faith because we know why. I feel believe Eliab exposed his, his pride. He was humbled that his little brother was showing a faith that he didn't have. Well, somehow in all this little conversation, word gets up to King Saul somebody's talking about killing Goliath. And I can only imagine King Saul was completely relieved because he's been sitting there humiliated for over 40 days because he doesn't have one soldier who's willing to go down in there. And I don't know if kings are like basketball coaches who are like, yeah, you got to see my team this year. I got a really good team. I got this really good guard. And, you know, we're going to be really tough, hard to beat this year. I don't know if kings talk it up like that about their soldiers. But if so, he's had 40 days of a bunch of nothing. And I think that's humiliating. So I can imagine why the king would be like, bring this man to me. Bring him to me. And I don't know what the moment was like when the guys went and grabbed the sheep tending harpist and brought him up into King Saul's presence. And King Saul looks at him and David, David's so awesome. He just runs right into his presence and says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I can just see it. How awesome this youthful faith is. Saul recognizes David. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know you're pretty good with a harp, son, but he says, you're not able to go out and fight this giant because he's been a fighting man from his youth and you're only a boy. As I, I want to encourage you, never say those words. Never say that you're only a boy. You're only a child. Never say that. Because I believe it, if you researched every great revival that the American church has ever seen, they were all started by youth. God loves kids. Kids, he loves them. He can show himself so great and mighty through them. He's very interested in calling them out. This is not rare or uncommon that God would put a strong hand on a child and say, I set you apart for my purposes. Now keep your eyes on me. And we're going to go do something great together. God doesn't wait till you get a degree from college to use you. He doesn't great wait till you have initials after your name that say you're important. He's very interested in the simple and the humble. And he comes after them and says, I think you'll do just fine. And this was that type of a moment. So... Saul looks David over and tells him he can't do it. And then David answers him. And I love his answer. I don't know. It's kind of powerful. And I don't know why it's so powerful, but it really is. He says, oh yeah, that issue of me being an only boy. Well, let me tell you, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep as if that's impressive. (laughs) Don't, don't worry. I can take care of Goliath because I've been keeping my father's sheep. So I have a lot of training there, you see. And he says, um, sometimes a lion or a bear would come and try and carry off a sheep. And I said, oh no, you will not take my sheep. Those are my father's sheep. And so I would go after the lion and the bear. That's a crazy statement right there. We have bears in our neighborhood in Ballantry. So this is a reality for me. I don't know if a bear came in to take my dog, if I'd go after the bear, but David did. He went after the, the, bear, the bear and the lion and said, no, these are my father's sheep. I'm sorry, you can't have them. And he would strike 
them until the bear and the lion would release the sheep. And then it says the bear and the lion, he said, when the, when the bear and the lion turned on me, I struck them and killed them. And so I'm just thinking, Saul, that the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, I think he's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So no, no worries. Wow. Oh, wow. Because Saul's next words are, go and the Lord be with you. Okay, okay, wow. Now Saul is saying to David, I entrust my entire kingdom into your hands, little boy. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know if faith was born in Saul's heart at that moment. I don't know if David gave Saul a glimpse of God. I don't know what happened, but the king put the kingdom in the hands of a boy. And he said, but if you're gonna go, you're gonna have to put on my armor. And we know that from scripture that Saul was a head and shoulders taller than every man in the kingdom. So he was a very tall man. And I don't know how tall David was, but I know he's a boy. So I can only imagine this very long tunic and this very heavy breastplate and this great big shield and this spear. And it says, David put them on and he tried to walk around in them. And that, that, that scene just cracks me up. I'm picturing his feet you know, kind of flopping and he's tripping over the skirt and he's dragging the shield along and this helmet keeps flapping down over his eyes and he's pushing it back up and the spear's tall and he's like, I don't think this is gonna work for me, Saul. And he does this very, very cool thing. And if you would allow me, I would like to just climb inside this moment for a second. David takes this stuff off. He puts the sword down, he puts the spear down, he puts the breastplate down, all the armor, takes the helmet off and he steps away from them and says, I can't use those. I'm not used to them. I am not used to them. What am I used to? What am I used to? Well, I I think I'd rather go after those things I use in the secret place. That's where God's trained me. I'm gonna go after those tools and come back with those in my hands instead because I know how to carry these. I'm better at them. They fit really well. I'd rather trust these. And 2 Corinthians gives us a powerful picture of this. And if I could just sit inside this for just a moment, the scripture tells us that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. On the contrary, we don't fight with those weapons. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds. We don't fight with the weapons of this world. And if there is a, 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 an issue that has grieved my heart more than any other issue in my lifetime in ministry, it has been this issue with the church in America. We are not good at the divine weapons. We want to instead pick up the gimmicks, pick up the marketing strategies, pick up the clever ideas, pick up the paint, pick up the carpet, pick up the appearance, pick up the things that belong to the world. When all the while there are these weapons sitting here, divine weapons, the word of God and prayer and worship and fasting and serving, these divine things that have been neglected in the secret place. And we ran instead after things of this world. And when you work with the things of this world, you get what the world gets. But when you work with the things of God, you get what God can give. And I am very interested in this hour of history to see what God can do. What can he do if the church gets really good at running in here and coming out with those things in their hands? And when the enemies face us, instead of reaching after a, oh yeah, well, I've got a cute t-shirt. Okay, well, I'm gonna paint my building cute. Oh, well, you gotta see my brochure. Wait till you come. It, coming at our enemy with the weapons of the world. What if we came at the enemy with, watch out, watch out, 
Watch out. Here come holy hands. Lift it up before the throne of God. What happens if out comes the word of God? The, the word of God rightly divided, spoken and understood from a heart surrendered. What happens if here comes worship? I'll tell you what will happen. The enemy will flee because those things belong to God. He can't stand before them. So I guess the choice is ours. We can keep trying to beat ourselves up with these things that don't work or we can get really good at the things that do. And you know what happens when we use the things that do? We get to rest and God does all the work. And that's what we're about to see in this picture. Ah, so exciting. So David runs over there. He gets his little secret place stuff and he starts into the valley. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us what happened with all the soldiers, but I can imagine that those guys were coming up against the edge of that little cliff, looking down, watching this single young boy walk down into the valley. And I can see the Philistines kind of leaning and going, hey, 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 it's been 40 days, but I think they're sending somebody down. Look, look, yeah, I can see this small little tiny figure way over there on the other side of the hill. I think it's coming down. Oh yeah, he is. Beat the drums, beat the drums. Boom, 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 boom. And David's kind of walking down into the valley and I always thought that maybe that's when he wrote the Psalm. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. And all the dramatics are starting and Goliath's all getting roused up and they're waking him up going, hey, they're sending somebody after 40 days. Believe it or not, let's get this over with. So Goliath raises up and he begins to walk. And you've got to hear this right out of the scripture. He says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He was insulted. I've waited 40 days and you sent me a boy with a slingshot. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said, come here, boy, and I'm gonna feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And that was the best that Goliath could do. And then David says, oh yeah? You're coming against me, Goliath, with that sword and that spear, and that javelin. But Goliath, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And I wanna stop right here in a second and tell you what just happened. He humbled himself. And you know who stood up? God stood up. And it's as if David's saying, oh, Goliath, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. Did you think you were battling me? Oh, well, let me introduce you to who you're fighting against today. You are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are, I wish I knew the song, mighty God, king of everything. And here comes Alpha Omega, standing up behind his little boy. And Goliath, all of a sudden, though he was bigger than David, he looks very, very small in the face of God Almighty. Oh, yes, church. If we can just be like that, if we can look at life and go, life, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Fight him. And I'm just gonna sit inside the word and sit inside prayer and sit inside worship. My job is very easy. I sing songs to him. I do this. And I listen and I pray and I love on him and I get this amazing relationship with him and then he does all this fighting stuff. And it's so great. It really works out really well. But the story is so good. I want to finish it very quickly. It says that 
He goes on after his threat. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is my favorite part. He says, Goliath, this day, the Lord is going to hand you over to me. I will cut you down and I will, I will strike you and I will cut you down. I will cut off your head. And we need to stop there for just a second because you remember what David does not have with him right now. Do you remember? He left his sword with Saul. So there is something very powerful taking place right here where the boast coming out of David's mouth is greater than David's ability to even make happen. He's standing there with a slingshot telling Goliath he's going to cut his head off. And I really do wonder, I have wondered for many years if David went, what did I just say? <laughs> Jesus, how in the world are we going to, you know, he didn't say Jesus, he didn't know Jesus, and he said God. How are we going to do this? You know, am I going to like strangle him or pull it tight? How am I going to cut his head off with a slingshot? But he says, I'm going I'm to strike you down, I'm going to cut off your head. And then, this is so good. He said, you know, guys, how you offered me to the birds of the air? I'm going to offer the carcasses of the entire Philistine army to the birds of the air today. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I can imagine what it was like up in the Philistine camp when they heard those words. I have no idea if fear struck their heart or if they laughed. It doesn't really matter, does it? Because the words ended up being true. And David reached into his sling, shot bag, put a little stone in, and you know how it goes. He just threw it, and God picked it up, and he carried it at just the right speed, and he bonked Goliath in the head with it, and it killed him. And Goliath fell over. And I know what that must have been like with the Philistines looking and they see this thing happen. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how he fell, but in my imagination, Goliath falls face forward like, like that, right at David's feet. Like there's this kabunk. <laughs> all the Philistines are like, he tripped. Wait, 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 no, he's gonna get up. This is all a part of the like... Thing. Like he's gonna, I don't know, he's just gonna fight, but Goliath just stays there and he doesn't move. And it's at that moment that I think it dawns on David. That's right, I said I was gonna cut his head off. Need a sword, need a sword, need a sword. Oh, this one will do. And he goes over and takes Goliath's sword out of the sheath, raises it up, and cuts his head off. And at that point, I think the Philistine army kind of got the message. <laughs> I think there's a problem. And <laughs> David picks the head up just to mo- you know, make sure they know it's disconnected. Sorry, guys, it's a little graphic, but it's right out of the scripture, okay? So he's holding the head up, and it says um, right then that um, <clears throat> verse 52, actually end of 51, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Can we just climb inside this like 14-year-old boy's head for a minute? Here you are, not old enough to be a soldier yet, standing there holding the head of a giant that is nine feet tall. And if that's not a thrill, you look up on the mountainside and see grown men in the Philistine army running away from you. That's a moment. Every young man would love a moment like that. <laughs> I don't know if he like looked back at his brother Eli. I'm like, hey, what's up? <laughs> And then in the first word of verse 52 is one of my favorites. It says, then, T-H-E-N, then the men of Israel surged forward with a shout. Yeah, right. After the Philistine was dead, decapitated, and the enemy was running for their life, then dismayed and terrified Israelites went, I think it's safe now. And, 
and they started running, and the birds had Philistines for dinner that night. And that is the end of 1 Samuel 17. Amazing, amazing story. Amazing story. So I say all of that to say... Whatever happens in the secret place, if the Lord would grace us to figure out how to just transition and that the things that belong in the secret could go public. And we become people who are known just like David was known. Man, when that church worships, darkness just flees. When, that, when those people pray, stuff happens, things move. They believe the word of God to be true and they're aligning their lives with the truth in God's word. And I see this transformation taking place not only in them, but I'm beginning to feel it happen in me. And I pray for us that we learn how to fight with these disciplines, that we face our Goliaths, not ashamed and coward and looking at our hands as if it were up to us, but that we are like David and we look up and say, What are you going to do about this one? And I bow before the name of the Lord God Almighty and invite him to take care of what I just can't. I'm just not big enough. The God is so big, so big. And he loves glorifying himself. And why did did God allow that whole story? He could have taken care of it so many different ways. Why did he allow it? Well, I'll tell you what I think. It's been 4,000 years at least, and we're still talking about that story. God has gotten a lot of mileage out of that day. He's like, I'm going to do something that they're going to write songs about this. They're going to be talking about this till I return to the planet Earth. This day that a little boy killed a giant because he had faith in a great big God. Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for your word. We love it. We, have, we just receive the ministry from it, and I just pray that you'll push it down into the crevices of our mind and our heart. And Lord, Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak directly to hearts what you want to say now based on this word, how you want to correct, encourage, strengthen, enlighten us, Lord. Give us insight for how you want us to live. And as we move into this time of ministry and communion with you and remembering Jesus, the greatest fighter of all, Lord, I pray that our eyes will be fixed on you and that we'll listen well in the next several minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.